0: Welcome to the Messages Podcast with Every Nation NYC. We are here for you to know God, grow together, discover purpose, and make a difference in New York City and beyond. Please check out our Facebook and Instagram at Every Nation NYC. Enjoy the message. Church, it's good to be here with you in the house of God. My goodness, it feels good to be worshiping the Lord. I've just felt a release of emotion in the presence of God this morning, just getting able to dump all of who I am on somebody a lot bigger than me. Feels good. Feels good. We have been hungry act with one another of getting to walk in the purposes of God and joining online. I saw there's plans going up in the chat about when and when when somebody's gonna make it off of the online service and into this in-person service, and we get to meet you in person. We're looking forward to that day. I Believe that there's something special that's happening here in this room. I'm glad that we've got our college students. Can we hear it for our college students today? They're going, going on a conference. At the end of this month, and so I love that we were able to sow into that and see lives transformed. It was at this conference that these students are going to. It's going to be held in Chantilly, Virginia, for those of you who because what is Chantilly? That's outside of D.C. It's just outside of D.C. I know, uh, coastal elites here, we only care about the big cities, so it's basically D.C. It was at that conference. I was 17 years old. And God put his finger on me and said, you're called into ministry. And I said, no, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm going I'm to go make money or do something you know, else that's more lucrative. <laughs> and he said, it's, just, just watch, just watch. And I, I repented. I gave my, my heart, not just my heart, but I gave my, my future to God, gave my future. I was already committed to serving him, but I gave my future to him at that conference. So I'm excited that we could send um, 30 students to, to this moment. We are in a series, and there isn't a Bibles in a way, and people are, I've had two people ask me to di- t- today, said, Pastor, 10 chapters of scripture a day? It's like, yeah, 10 chapters a day. It's, it's hard on me too. Honestly, this is not like my, my this is not my strong right hook, as, a, as it were. This is not my strong side personally, reading in mass. I love understanding. I love digging deep. I can vamp and meditate and get and soak and marinate and all of the things on one verse, maybe even one word all day long. I love the word of God. But mass reading is not my strength. But what I'm going to do personally is I'm going to put it in my ears. It's going to be about 30 minutes of listening a day. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get it into me. And wait wait till we see the kind of spiritual gains that are gonna come from getting the mighty, eternal, all powerful Word of God—the Word that spoke and created every atomic structure in our universe, the Word that spoke and created life itself. Wait till we get that on the inside of us, and that starts flowing out of us. It's gonna be better than Fox News. It's gonna be better than CNN. It's gonna be better than whatever your mom told you that you were not gonna make it when you were growing up. It's gonna be better than anything on your social media feed it's going to be better than anything you can find on netflix so personally i'm going to commit to reading and getting in my word and getting it in me so that it can flow out of me it's going to be good church so this is to help us get into this and so if you don't get a hold of this that's okay that's all right just skip it go straight to this okay so that's, that's all right. And, it, you know, if, there's, if, you don't, if you aren't able to read it to the, the pace, if you fall behind, there's no guilt in that. Just get back up and do it again. Just keep going. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Don't let any guilt or shame hold you back from this thing. I know so many times I've not read my Bible because I've not read, read my Bible lately. And there's a guilt thing attached. Just, that's why Jesus died on the cross, friends. That's already buried, done, and gone with. What we do is we move forward. Because, you know, we didn't deserve it in the first place. So we're going to get in there and keep moving forward. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. Keep moving forward. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. I'm going to walk in your faithfulness today. So whatever you're feeling like, just pick up that word. Start getting into it. So along with the, the devotional guide and reading our scriptures, we are in a series that's walking through the first ha- or first couple of chapters of Revelation. And we're going to come back in Christmas time when we're celebrating the first coming of Jesus we're going to look at the last half of revelation and talk about the second coming of jesus so we're going to look back at a first coming and forward to a second coming and this year is going to be bookended in revelation how does that sound to you that sounds good to me all right so revelation it is a strange it's about like that it's a scary intimidating frightening and overwhelming book i'll be honest with you when i think about preaching from the book of revelation it's intimidating it's intimidating. It's a, it's a beast of a book. There's literally the, be- the beast is in the book, that's where he comes from. <laughs> it's often misunderstood, though, and I want to give you, this week I was teaching in our L215 cohort, that's our leadership 215 cohort. I'm walking through with a number of our staff, uh, a seminary-level training course, and I'm, I'm getting to chair that and ask questions and discussions. and this week we are walking through, or this month, the class called Hermeneutics. Uh, hermeneutics is how we interpret Scripture. And I'm going to give you a hermeneutical key to understanding the book of Revelation. Can I, can I do that? It's just going to, going to help us get our mind around this thing. And it comes to us in the first sentence. I've, I've heard the book of Revelation referred to all sorts of things, and a lot of people like to put an S on the end of it, Revelations. And personally, I, I'm tempted to do that because it sounds cooler. Book of Revelations. But there's no S there. In fact, it's one revelation. And that's why we've entitled the message today, The Right Revelation. The Right Revelation. And the right revelation is mentioned in the first sentence. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the first four words, the revelation of Jesus. Five words of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if we miss that, then we miss the rest of it. If we miss what it's the revelation of, then we miss the rest of it. And so, this is my hermeneutical uh, key, our interpretive key. If you get a revelation that is not part of or stemming from Jesus, you've got the wrong revelation. If the revelation is how much Campbell's soup do you need in your basement bunker, you've got the wrong revelation. All right? <laughs> If the revelation is to withdraw from culture and get your family and kids and move into the mountains and hide out and get scared of everything that's happening in culture, you've got the wrong revelation. Because that's not what we see Jesus doing. It's not how we see Jesus asking us to walk. And so I'm going to walk through a couple of terms to help us. Further in understanding, so this this is a, what's called apocalyptic literature. It's a style of literature. There's other parts of our scripture that are also apocalyptic literature. Uh, the back end of Daniel, uh, Ezekiel speaks in this way, and other things. An apocalypse does not mean that uh, uh, the end of the world it does not mean that zombies come out of the, the graves. What apocalypse means is it means uncovering or revealing. And actually here it's uh, the revelation, that word revelation. That's apocalypse translated as revelation. So to reveal or to uncover apocalypse. All the same thing. Secondly, it's a book of prophecy. Um, and so when John, the author, is pinning this in A.D. 90, he's looking back to uh, to historical references of how prophetic writers have written in the past using key using key themes and imagery from past prophetic writers for how he is going to communicate. And so you have to be steeped in Jewish literature and thought to, to begin to understand it more fully. Of course, there's, there's always gold just on the, the historical context, et cetera, and then we're able to dive deeper into it. There's a lot of numerology as we walk through the scriptures and one of the big numbers that we're going to come across time and again is 7. The number 7 is rooted in the 7 days of creation and it's a number of completion. So whenever you're seeing 7, think okay, something's coming going to be completed here or it's a wholeness, a fullness. The number 7 is throughout the book. It's the author again is John, John the friend of Jesus, John the one disciple who saw Jesus in the flesh. On the cross, crucified, Jesus looks off of the cross, says, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And and Jesus transfers responsibility of his mother over to this man, this faithful friend, this one disciple who didn't leave Jesus' side during the crucifixion. John then goes on to write the book of John, the gospel of John, also, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John takes the hit for preaching the gospel. He references it in the opening chapter and is exiled to the island of Patmos. And it's here God meets with him. Around 80, 90, he pens the book of Revelation. Revelation is also, it's, apoc- uh, it's a, uh, apocalyptic literature. It's prophetic literature. It's also a letter. It's addressed and penned to seven churches that were historical. And so... The main purpose of this letter to these churches was to encourage them to endure and to conquer, to overcome what was, what was facing them. They were, some were facing persecution. Others were facing false teachings. Some were facing sexual temptation and immorality. Some were just apathetic. And this letter from John was to encourage them and to help them conquer. So church, collectively, we want to conquer today. We want to be encouraged today. There are things that you're facing in your life, temptations. I was talking to somebody today that said, I've faced temptations over the last month. I was talking to somebody else who's who's going through hard times. You don't know what people are going through here. There's things, there's pressures in our society that are not on our side. Well, how do we stand firm in the face of this? We get the revelation of God, of Jesus Christ on the inside of us so we can boldly face what's on the outside. In the start, in the introduction of this prophetic, apocalyptic letter, is the one time that we read in Scripture that you're blessed for the reading of this Scripture. And so I did not want to skip over that. It says, blessed is the one who reads it, blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who obey it. And so as such, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read this together. And it's going to take about three and a half minutes to read so what I'd like to do is actually ask us all to stand for the reading of God's word and receive this book, this first chapter of Revelation together. I've actually got, I've asked for a little bit of backing mood music just to set the, set the feel as we, as we read this scripture. I know I'm personally distracted, so here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness of the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep that which is written in it. For the time is near. John, the servant, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loved us, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made known to us and has made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Pergamum, in Tyria, in Sidus, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, the hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God. Amen. may be seated thank you father i pray that today we would not just be hearers of the word but transformed doers obeyers participants in the word of god thank you lord for this revelation of jesus christ may we live in it in jesus name amen so again we want to have the right revelation the right revelation stems from jesus about what is to take place and it's basically in essence it's this things are going to get hard things are going to get hard Things were hard for the church in the first century. Things were hard for the church in the third century. Things were hard for the church in the 21st century. Things are generally hard for the church. And as a matter of fact, sometimes I think if it's not hard for us, maybe we're not doing the things that are right. And so what is constant is difficulty. But in that flow of difficulty that Jesus is going to reveal to us is a king who conquers. And it's Jesus seated on his throne, Jesus who passed through death and came into life, Jesus who is for his church and is giving us this promise and this courage into us so that we can endure. And so through it all, what we want to see is just like John, we want to see Jesus. The right revelation is Jesus. The right revelation is whatever is happening around us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is seated on his throne and he has authority over everything else. Whether it's a dragon or a beast or a scroll, who wins in each scene is the slain Lamb of God. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news for those of us who are fighting cancer. It's good news for us who are believing for a lost child. It's good news for us for situations that are overwhelming. It's good news, church, so we can get it in us. Together we can get this thing in us. Start to live out this victory. So I want to talk about three things that happen when we see Jesus. Collectively, God, would you help us see us, see you today in a new way when we see Jesus? The first thing is that it's totally enveloping. When we see Jesus, it's totally enveloping. You can see this in the passage of Revelation when his hair's like snow, that's that's not about pigmentation. That's just about the brilliance of it. It just snowed here in New York City, and I have these, these lawn furniture out in my, outside of my home, and, and there's a white cushion on that, that thing. But then it snowed, and I didn't have a white cushion. I learned I have a yellow cushion. They say in Scotland, sheep look white until it snows. It's, it's, it's brilliant beyond all brilliant is what, what, what John is saying here. Then again, his eyes are like flames of fire. His voice like the roar of many waters. Out of his mouth comes this double-edged sword. What's that to say? You look out. His words are dangerous. They're sharp. His face like the sun shining in full strength. What is this? All of John's senses are absolutely set ablaze. Overwhelmed. More information than our eyeballs can take in, more noise than our ears can take in, more sensory envelopment than we are designed to take. God is absolutely overwhelming. And when we look at the story of Jesus, it's terrifying when we're honest. We teach it to our kids like it's something tame, but friends, it's not a tame story. It's not an easy story to get our heads around. Even the words, God loves you, God. Let's just unpack that for a minute. The king of the universe knows your name. Like we would, our heart would flutter a bit if we knew that our favorite celebrity knew our name. But beyond that, the king, the eternal one, now doesn't just know your name. He loves you. He loves you. God, who I've never made his life better, I've never added anything to him. I've served him for 30, you know, 34 years of my life. I want to give him my all, but I've never made his world any better. God, you've never made his world any better. No matter how much money we've given, no matter how much time we've volunteered, we've not actually made a qualitative difference to the house of God, the the throne room of heaven. But he loves you, and he serves you, and he serves me better than I've ever served him. That God loves us. And that love that he gives us is costly, is more costly than we could ever imagine. When God chose to redeem us, what did he use to pay for our redemption but the blood of his own child? It was personal to him. It was costly to him. It could have, he could have spoken and created all of the gold in the universe multiple fold. He could, have, he could have created any other resource, but the limited resource of his love and his precious affection toward his son, that's what he used to pay for our redemption. His love is costly. And then he brings us into his family, gives you value, gives you authority, gives you meaning and purpose, makes you a kingdom of priests to him. Serving him, giving him praise, and then from his throne room, bringing authority and justice and righteousness back onto the earth. The whole story is too good to be true. It's too wonderful. It's too beautiful to look at Jesus is entirely sublime. But what we are called to do is to gaze into this story, to gaze into it. I think How did John's eyes have to adjust? He describes his face like the shining sun in full brilliance, and then his eyes, which happen to be set in the middle of that face, shining like the full sun in full brilliance, are like flames of fire. How long did his eyes have to adjust to see the eyes of God? How long did he have to stare into that sun in order for his pupils to dilate to tiny pinholes to see the eyes in the center of the sun? How long do we have to acclimate to the beauty of this story before it actually starts to go from our head to our heart to our life? Our call is to stare at the story, to stare at the beauty, to stare at the glory of God that he's expressing to us in the story of the gospel, in the story of his scriptures, to look at it until it gets in us from our eyes to our head and to our heart and to our hands until we're living it, until we're generous people because God's been generous to me, until we're loving people because God's been loving to me, until we're patient people because, oh my gosh, has God been patient with me? Until it's flowing through us, we stare at the story, we stare at the enveloping glory of God. It's terrifying when we see it because when you see a king that dies for you and raises again and gives you new life, It's transformative. Transforming is a good word for dying and then changing. Like, yes, I want transformation. How about death first? I don't know. If you're going to transform your living space, what happens first? You tear out everything that's in there before you put in new stuff. There's always a death process before there's a rebirth process. There's always a tearing out before there's a putting in. Transformation sounds positive, but truly, it's terrifying. Many of us believe in for a body transformation this year, it's going to feel like death. I'm hungry. I'm tired. My, up, my, my hips are aching. My back's tight. Trans, that's what transformation feels like. It means death to your life. Death to your self-righteousness. Death to your unforgiveness. Death to your substance abuse. Death to your sexual expression that's perverted. Death to your excuses. It means death. When we stare at the king, it's terrifying because it means death to me. All of a sudden, I thought I was doing pretty good, but then I saw the king. And he said, it's death to you. And John has this same reaction when he sees... God will bring you to death. He'll bring us to death. When he saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Revelation 117. And the lie is, there's a lie that if I hold back my life from God, if I preserve my life in the face of the king, then I'll be really alive. But the truth is, excuse me, the thought is, you see, the king, there's like a survival reflex. There's a survival reflex, and I understand. It's like when the dentist comes, in, comes into my mouth, he reaches that gloved hand down into my face and he's like clogging my nose and the spit suckers in there. There's a deep reaction in me that says, Not today. I'm going to win. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to help you, man, I'm trying to clean out that nasty tooth. Not today. I'm going to save myself. There's a survival instinct there's a survival reflex when the king starts to get involved in my business i want to react but he's trying to bring life to you and what that is going to require is submission to him we want to kick against the king we want to fight for our right we want to be lords of our own life but the truth is salvation is only going to come from the one who can save us we are already on a one-way trip to the grave we are already under the judgment of god Friends, we need help. We need the dentist's hand or the surgeon's scalpel. We need our God to reach in. And yes, it will require death, but that's not where the story stops. That's not where it ends. The lie is if I can only fight God out of my life, then I'll win. Friends, I want to be honest. You've been trying that for 20, 30, 40 years. How about we turn it around? How about we turn it around? You've been keeping God at a distance for long enough. You've tried it that way. You've tried reserving the best of your time for yourself. You've tried reserving the best of your finances for yourself. And I want you to do honest inventory with the king today. How is that going? When we look at God's dying for our sin, yes, what it says is death to you. Death to your personal right to be right. Death to your ability to keep God at arm's length. It's time to let him in. In verse 7, it says, Behold, he's coming on the cloud, and every eye will see, even those who pierced him. And though all of the earth, all the tribes of the earth, will wail on account of him, even so, let it be. It's time to receive him, even though it's terrifying. Let it be. We need a Savior, we need a Lord. And that is not, our personal death is not where the story ends. What God is coming to do is he brings that hand down. What is he doing? He's, what is he, he wants to impart life. He wants to impart blessing. And so though as we look at him, he says, this thing is going to kill me. Gosh, if I really truly follow Jesus, it's going to kill my, my love life. It's going to kill my financial life. It's going to kill my career. It's what it looks like on the outside. But friends, if you let the hand of God come upon you, what it's actually going to do is impart fresh life, fresh meaning, fresh power, fresh anointing, fresh grace for you to overcome everything that's trying to kill you. God is not out to kill you. He's out to resurrect you. Look at this. John falls like dead before the feet of Jesus, but, 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 verse 17, but his hand, his right hand came upon me, and he said, fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. Hey, I died, I died, I died, I was the one who died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. There's a fresh authority coming on you. When that hand of God comes upon you, there's a courage to overcome whatever it is that's actually trying to kill your life. It's actually standing against you. It's out of this moment, hand coming upon him. God speaks to John. Jesus speaks to John. He says, now write the letters write to the seven churches. Why is John writing to the seven churches? The goal, again, the goal of this letter, the goal of this book of Revelation, it's not for you to fill your bunker with canned soup. The goal is not for you to live in fear of the tribulation or the rapture. The goal is not for you to withdraw from culture. The goal is not for you to feel arrogant about your eschatology or your end times theology. The goal is in fact for you to stand firm under fire. The goal is for this book to put iron in your backbone. The goal is for you to resist temptation, to throw off passivity and stand strong in the face of persecution in a culture that might not like Christianity. The goal is for you to be filled and a faithful witness like Jesus was a faithful witness and that you can have faith to make it through. That's the goal of this letter. It's been misunderstood for far too long. It's been terrifying the church trying to figure out some people are making money off of writing books about when the end times are going to happen. Friends, Jesus himself did not know we can give up on that endeavor. Our job is to stay faithful when we don't know. In this moment, Jesus imparts courage. There's an impartation of courage. Three ways, and I'm going to come in for the close. I'll invite the band back up here. First is a courage to hear. Blessed is the one who reads these words aloud, of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. From the, the next couple of chapters, there's specific letters to these seven churches. And seven times, John writes, he who has ears, let him hear. Friends, let's Have courage to hear. Let's have courage to get into our word. And I believe that today God is imparting fresh courage for you to get in your word like never before. Secondly, there's courage to obey. Blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Harder than hearing is the call to obey. Some of you, God, I believe, has placed his finger on some parts of your life that aren't lining up to his word, they're terrifying. God wants to release a new courage to you to walk out of that relationship that you know is not godly, to leave behind some substances that you know are not doing you right, to leave behind some habits and some ways of living that you know are not honoring to God. God wants to impart a fresh courage to you, and I want to encourage you that anything that you're facing is not uncommon. There's not a shame in this place. Jesus died to blow away the shame. And there's a fresh courage for us to confess our sins, to live in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. And there's going to be an impartation of the grace of God over whatever it is that you're facing as we close our service here today. God is giving addresses to these seven churches seven times. Again, remember the number of completions. Seven times. There's a promise. For the one who conquers, for the one who conquers, I will give X, Y, Z, seven times. Some of us are facing real challenges. There's real battles that are going on in your home, that are going on in your health, that are going on in your finances, that are going on in your workplace. I know there are real challenges. The promise is not always that God will remove us. The promise is that God will give us strength under fire. Believe that today God is going to release a fresh grace over you. You've been listening to the Messages podcast with Every Nation NYC. If you enjoyed our message, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps others hear the message of Jesus, and we really appreciate it. If you have yet to spend time with us in person, we would love to welcome you to one of our services. Visit everynationnyc.org to find all the info you need to attend a service. We will see you there.